0: How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? (laughs) Well, let me ask it more positively. How many of you made one? And if you didn't make one, how many of you set a goal or said, this year I want to do such and such, anybody? You know, um, most of us do that. In fact, research tells us that about 60% of Americans on average do make some form of a resolution every New Year's. Um, what percent do you think actually keep it? Eight. Eight percent. So uh, hopefully this year we're all going to do a lot better than that, right? Um, did a little digging and came across a survey that was done last week asking people what their resolutions for 2019 were, and here's the top ten for this year. I'll let you look through that list. Diet, eat healthier, exercise, lose weight, save more, spend less, learn a new skill or hobby, quit smoking, read more, find another job, drink less alcohol, and spend more time with family or friends. Some of you may have one of those. uh, One of those may be on your list. Um, What's interesting to me is that almost every one of those has to do with our physical life, our material life. Notice that? Our health. Our finances, our activities, our physical well-being, our, our, our the material part of life. It was it was surprising to me that only one of them really deals with relationships. The last one, and that was the the and, and these are listed in order of, of the percentage of people that set these as their resolution. What was also interesting is that not none of those dealt with our spiritual lives. None of the top ten dealt with a person's relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. The key, the key for you and me as followers of Christ in becoming a a new me, this, this series that I'm starting today is It's titled, A New Year, A New Me, whether it's through resolutions, whether it's through a a recommitment of our lives to the Lordship of Christ, or as we got on our knees this morning and last Sunday and said, Jesus, we want to love you more. The key to accomplishing that is for us to know deep within ourselves who we are. Because until you settle the issue of who you are, you are going to continue struggling to accomplish the goals and the resolutions or whatever you want to call them that you set for yourself spiritually. And I want to suggest to you that those spiritual things are more important than all of the physical things you saw on the screen a moment ago because if you get yourself right with Jesus Christ, it's going to be so much easier to get right in those other areas of life. But to be the new you, the the person that God not only created you to be, but more importantly, Jesus saved you to be, you have to own deep within your soul who you are. Now, we all think of ourselves as certain things, and our identity is usually tied up in some of the different roles we play. Uh, very quickly this morning at the house, I grabbed this bag, and, and uh, I saw uh, uh, my brother over here give me the evil eye this morning because uh, he works at Bylow and I prefer Bilo. My wife likes food line. Sorry, but you, you got me anyway. Um, but I have in here some hats. Okay? Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but this one says Hog University. Well, I'm, that's my name, so I like the hat. That tells you a little bit about me. Now, the ones that I have a lot of look more like this. Okay? that beautiful blue and white, because that's part of my identity, who I am and what's important to me. Now, just so you will know, I've lived here long enough, I do have one hat that looks like this, South Carolina, okay? It's not Gamecocks or Tigers, but it is the state. And then my kids, some time ago, got me this one, and I wear this when I'm working outside, so it's gotten kind of dirty. Number one, dad, that's a big part of who I am. I'm I'm a father, grandfather, a husband, I used to have a hat that had a big cross on it that said clergy, and I don't know what happened to it, can't find it. This is one from a mission trip we took to Kenya a few years ago because I'm a minister. That's part of my identity, pastor and you know missionary for Christ, so to speak. Those, these, these all represent part of who I am. And most of us, when we think about ourselves, who are we? Who are you? We use things like that to describe who we are. I'm a husband, wife, father, son, brother. I, I, I'm a preacher. I'm a I'm a technician. I'm a mechanic. I'm an engineer. I'm a CEO, whatever. We have all these things that are part of our lives, and that's how we identify ourselves. But what happens when you lose one of those roles? How do you see yourself then? You lose your family, whether it's through divorce or death, and you no longer have that role. Who are you then? How do you see yourself? Because a lot of people, when those changes come, they they don't know who they are anymore because that's their whole identity. Some mothers struggle when their kids grow up and go off to college or get married and don't come to see them but once a year because they live on the other side of the country. Who am I? My whole identity for all those years has been as a a mom. Who am I now? Company downsizes and you no longer have that job. And for the last 15 years, the last 30 years, you've thought of yourself as this. But that's not you anymore. So who are you? You lose your health. Who are you? Clemson gets beat Monday night. Who are you? I'm not saying they will, but if it happens, who are you? Okay, how are you going to see yourself? Because I know some people who get so tied up in sports, they can be happy, 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 and the next day, man, you don't want to be around them. Who are you? How do you see yourself? Now, Jesus knew who he was. His changing circumstances did not dictate what he thought about himself or who he saw himself as being or what his purpose and mission in life was. He knew who he was. Circumstances did not dictate that, did not define him. Jesus' family, his earthly family and his his earthly friends did not define him. His enemies did not define him. If you have your, your Bible, I want you to look at a couple of passages real quickly. In Luke chapter 2, just to illustrate that, Jesus was so confident in who he was that even his own family did not define him. In Luke chapter 2, this, this story that takes place when he's a 12-year-old boy and the family, you'll remember they, they go to Jerusalem uh, to the temple and then they're, they're traveling back home and Jesus is not in the caravan and they finally discover he's missing. They go back to the city to look for him. Okay, you remember that story? And then you drop down in the story at verse uh, 49, as you see there on the screen, and if you have your Bibles, the the his parents in verse 48 had said, why did you make us so afraid? Why did you do this? And then in verse 49, Jesus said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Well, why, why did you go to that place? Because they spent time searching for Jesus. They didn't necessarily go straight to the temple. That's what this question implies. Why did they not go there first? Why did they look all these other places first? Did did they think that what was over there was what was most important to Jesus? What was over here was most important to Jesus? His 12-year-old boy did the things that normally define 12-year-old boys. Did they think that was what was most important to him would would define Jesus? who he was, and so he says to them in verse 49, why, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be where? In my father's house. So Jesus knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Are you more than the things that are represented on these these baseball hats that I showed you a moment ago in my own life? Are you, are you more than those in your life? Who are you? And of all the things you use to describe who you are, which one takes precedence? Verse 50, but they, who's they? His parents did not understand the statement which he had made to them. They they didn't get Jesus. Any of you have relatives, family members who don't understand you? don't understand your passionate love for Jesus Christ. They didn't they didn't get Jesus. Listen, Mary was a woman of faith, but if you think Mary was perfect and always got Jesus, you're wrong. She didn't. And here's one time she didn't have a clue what he was really talking about. She didn't get it. She didn't get it. But notice Jesus in verse 51, he goes home with them and he's a, he's 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 a good obedient child son, even though they didn't fully understand him. Let's look at another story later in Jesus' life. Now, he's 12 years old here. Look, look in Mark chapter 3 for just a moment. Open your Bible there, Mark chapter 3, because now Jesus is 30, 31 years old, and he's in his public ministry, so uh, 20 years, give or take, have passed, and uh, he's preaching, and Traveling with his disciples, and they make their way back to the hometown, back to Nazareth, where his family lived, where he had grown up. And in Mark chapter 3, at verse 20, it says, He came home, and there was this big crowd, and, and, and there were so many demands on him, he didn't have time to even eat a meal. Verse 21, his own people, who's his own people? His kinsmen, his family. Later on we learn it's his mother and brothers. When they they heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses. So Jesus makes his way back to his hometown where his family still lives and and, and they hear he's in town and they think, man, he's lost it. He's nuts. He's lost his senses. He's he's out of his mind. We're going to go and take custody Custody of him. You you get that image. Custody. We're, we're, we're going to have him committed. We're going to physically, forcibly bring him with us. Then in verse 22, the scribes, some of the religious leaders in Judaism, were saying he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the devil. So you on one, on one hand, you have Jesus' family saying he's nuts, and on the other hand, and you have his enemies saying he's of the devil. And so Jesus begins teaching. And you drop down in the story to verse 31, his mother and his brothers, that's who the kinsmen, the, his people are in the earlier verse, his mother and his brothers. So Mary and his brothers arrive standing outside. So they, they show up at the house where Jesus is teaching or the place and And they send word inside that they are there and want to see him. They call for him. And verse 32, there's a crowd sitting around. And they said to Jesus in verse 32, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. 33, Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Who's my family? And then verse 34, Looking about at those, who were sitting around him. So here's Jesus in this crowd, and they say, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he asked, the, who's, who's my mother and brothers? And then it says, he looks around at everybody in the room, makes eye contact with them, focuses on them. And then he says at the end of verse 34, behold, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You get the point? Hmm? And Jesus did not allow his family and their attitude about him and his his ministry to define who he was. Look at these verses on the screen, John Seven, five none even his brothers were believing in him and then Matthew 1357 Jesus said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household he, a prophet is honored everywhere except home and his own family. Can't you just hear the pain in those words Jesus spoke? That wasn't just a, a general statement. Jesus was talking there about his own experience. And some of you have had to make your way without a lot of support. Have to love the Lord Jesus and serve the Lord Jesus and be dedicated to the Lord Jesus without everybody around you, everybody in your world saying, "Yay, yay, that's a great thing. But Jesus knows your pain. But he did not allow their opinion to control or define him. But here's something else. Neither did he allow their reactions to make him bitter. See, sometimes when people don't support us, we can become bitter. Right? When it's a struggle, we can become bitter. Jesus did not allow that to happen. He still loved his family. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, According to John's Gospel in chapter 19, verses 25 and following, st- standing at the cross, okay, were his mother, Mary, her sister, and Mary Magdalene. Let's go to the next two verses. And when Jesus saw his mother, so Jesus is looking down from the cross and he sees those three women standing there at the foot of the cross. And he also sees the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Who's the disciple that Jesus loved? John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, who wrote the book of Revelation. John. And so every time you read about John in the Gospel of John, he doesn't refer to himself directly. He says the disciple. He, he, that's, that's the name, the one. Because John's the one who wrote so much about love. But anyway... Notice what happens. He looks at his mother and he says, Woman, behold your son. You see me? But he's also, without using the word, saying, I see you. Because notice the next verse. Then he said to the disciple, he said to John, he said, John, behold your mother. Referring to Mary. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. In other words, John was the one who took care of Mary after Jesus' crucifixion. Because Joseph had died some years before. And so John, for the rest of her life, looked out for her. So here he is hanging on the cross and he's still caring for his mother. Even though for much of his ministry, she and his brothers didn't get him. And so he did not allow them to define who he was. Neither did he allow their behavior to make him bitter and angry. And both of those matter. You see, if if your identity is caught up in what other people think, you're either going to be happy or angry based on what they think. Which means they control you and how you see yourself, whether for good or not good. So who are you? Who are you? Neither did Jesus allow his friends to define who he was. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In, in verse uh, 20, 21, Jesus began showing his disciples, the Bible says, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, um, be killed and raised up on the third day. So he's very explicit in telling his disciples, guys, listen. We're on our way to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be arrested. I'll be be condemned. I'll be crucified. I'll be beaten. I will suffer. I will die. Then I'll be raised from the dead. They didn't hear all of that apparently because the very next verse, verse 22, Peter, one of the disciples, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine somebody rebuking Jesus? Huh? But that's exactly what Peter did. He 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 got in Jesus' face and he rebuked him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to be arrested. You're not going to be crucified. You're not going to be died. Never. No. I won't have it. Anybody ever got in your face when you tried to sacrifice for Jesus? Hmm? Jesus' response in verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me. Get out of my way. Satan. Wow. Did not refer to him as Peter, referred to Peter as Satan. Why? Why? He said, because you are a stumbling block to me, you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Peter, everything you care about is related to this physical, material, tangible world. But I have a, a higher purpose. My sense of identity comes from a, a different place. These other things matter. But these other things don't define who I am. Now listen to these words from Scripture and see if they make a little more sense as it relates to us. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new Creature, new creation, old things pass away, old new things come. Does it make a little sense now? Because Jesus is our model. When we are in a relationship with Him, how we see ourselves, we take our cues from how He got His identity. It's not all these hats. It's this transformation that's taking place because we have a relationship with Christ. Colossians 3.3 3, For you have died, died with Christ, died to sin, died to self. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's our identity. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Notice this. No longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Notice, and the life which I now live in the flesh, this earthly life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, back to that passage of Matthew 16. A few weeks ago, I preached from the verses just before the ones we read when Jesus said, I'll build my church on the gates of hell and you know, on, on, on this rock of who I am as the Messiah and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember that? It's the very next verses where, where Jesus begins saying, now guys, I'm going to die. Because it's through his crucifixion and resurrection that salvation was made possible and the church could be built. There is no church, there is no us without the crucifixion and resurrection. It's through that spiritual birth becoming new creatures, new creations in Christ that we exist as a family of faith, that the church exists, that is the church. Those in relationship with the crucified and resurrected Christ. And so he begins explaining to them his death. And that's when Peter says, no, 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 because we don't want that. We want an earthly kingdom. No, 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 we don't want that. We want you to take the place of the Romans. No, 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 no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, get behind me, because your interests are just of the things down here, not the interest of God. And then the very next thing Jesus said are the words you see on the screen. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must do what, church? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The cross is not suffering. The cross is a place of death, a place of sacrifice, a place of submission. And then he said, whoever wishes to save his life, you want to hold on to this? You want the material? You want want this? You want the stuff represented by these hats to be the thing that matters most? Then you'll lose your life. But you lose those things. For my sake, you discover life. Now, all the things represented by these hats are still true of me. Okay? That's the name that will be on my tombstone. Still true. Mission trip to Kenya. I'm going to preach until I can't preach. I'm a dad and a grandfather. Love that role. Cherish that role. I like South Carolina. I love Big Blue. All of that's still true. And if I lose one of those, I'm going to hurt, right? And I'm going to suffer. And there's struggle. If I lose any of those, right? You lose things in life. Things change. There's hurt. There's pain. We, We grieve because we love and care. And these things matter. It's not that these things are not important. They are important. But who are we? That's just part of who we are bigger part, follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so when things happen and we hurt and it doesn't make sense or we don't like it or we don't understand all of it, we still know who we are and we cling to that and we cling to him and we cling to the cross no matter what. Because he's the one thing we can never lose. He holds us in his hand, and no one can pry us loose. His forgiveness is complete, his salvation is full, his life is eternal, and we're secure. The core of our identity is the word that we said is our word for 2019. Is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And if you're going to be the new you that God has saved you to be, you must own who you are. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that true of you? I want to ask you to do something this week. Give you a little exercise. This will wrap the sermon up. Some of you may have done this in the past. Most of you have not done this. Some of you think it's kind of weird. But there's great benefit in doing it. I want to challenge you, give you an exercise. You ready? Starting today, this week, I want you to write your obituary. I told you head time it was going to be weird. Write your obituary. Now, to be clear, I want you to write it two times. The first time, I want you to imagine you go home and drop dead of a heart attack today. And if people weren't nice and lied but actually said what they thought, what would they really say about you? Think about the different groups in your life, the different roles in your life that are represented by these hats. And think about your relationship with Jesus Christ. If people told the truth, what would the different groups in your life say about you if you died today? Write that out. And if it's painful, let it be painful because, hey, in sports, no pain, no what? Pain can be good if we grow from it. And then I want you to write your obituary a second time. And This time for each of those groups and include your relationship with Jesus Christ. What would you want them to say? What do you wish they would say? What do you want them to say? And where are the differences? And where the differences are will tell you something. You want to be a new you in 2019? Do this. Let a big part of that focus be on who are you in Christ, your identity in Christ, your relationship with Christ. What's the truth today? What do you want it to be? And then let God give you some direction from that exercise. And email me. You're at the church and tell me how it's going. I have done this. This is how I started writing my life plan. This was the first thing I did in putting together my life plan. It's humbling, brothers and sisters. It's also motivating. Okay? Let's stand. And as we sing this hymn of invitation, the altar is available for you to come and get on your knees and pray and talk to the Lord about your life and about this coming year. Some of you are not followers of Jesus. You're not uh, disciples of Jesus. And if you wrote your obituary and you were honest, you'd have to put in there when it comes to Jesus Christ, you'd have to be honest and say, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you see, I ask you to write it a second time, what you wish it would be. And what you want is a relationship with Jesus. What you want is to be right with Jesus Christ. And that can happen for you right now. Jamie and Steve are standing here, and I'm asking you when we sing this song to come to one of them and say today, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to be saved and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Others of you can come and join the church. Let's sing together. Make your way to the altar to pray, to make a decision. Come and accept Christ. Make your decisions right now as we sing together.